Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of BBP News. I'm Nicholas Rod. I am alone this morning, but we are back with another Friday morning episode. And before we get started with anything else, let's jump into the weather as we always do. So in Los Angeles, California, as I stated at the beginning of the week, you guys have a clear, clear, clear week. Uh, cl mostly clear today with a high of 86 and a clear weekend. In Houston, Texas, very similar weather, just a little warmer. Mostly clear today with a high of 98 and a mostly clear weekend. Chicago, Illinois is a little different though. Heavy rain today with a high of 79 degrees, but a mostly clear weekend ahead after that. And then in New York City, partly cloudy today with a high of 84 degrees. Some rain coming in tomorrow, but then a very clear, nice Sunday. But really, not too much to talk about this morning ahead of the news. Things have been, well, pretty quiet to say the least. It's unfortunate that Chris can only join us for the Wednesday shows right now. Uh, hopefully we'll have him back sooner rather than later, because come on, you guys have to get tired of just me eventually, right? <laughs> um, but hopefully we'll have him back, like I said, sooner rather than later. I know I miss him being here and giving the news alongside me as he normally would. Um, but no, other than that, pretty quiet, to be honest. You know, we haven't talked about much other than the news for weeks now. It's been so, so busy. A lot of news to cover. Today's no different, but I get an extra minute here to just kind of talk. And yeah, no, just quiet. It's been It's been a fairly nice summer. You know, the only thing that I'm still missing and that I've talked about before as we kind of kicked summer off is a good thunderstorm. We've had a few like days of heavy rain. We actually had a day of just all rain the other day, but we haven't had a day where the thunder is just booming where you wonder if the power is about to go out. Just, we haven't had one of those. And some people hate storms like that, and I understand why, but I love them. They are so peaceful to me. So peaceful. I'm one of these people, I love the sounds of nature. Whether that be rain, animals, you name it, I love that stuff. So to get a nice thunderstorm this summer would be wonderful. Wonderful. But unfortunately, we're still waiting for that right now, <laughs> or at least I am. I'm waiting for that. I'm pretty sure if Chris were here, he would uh, strike that idea down immediately. But, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. I'll keep waiting. I'll keep looking forward to this, uh, to this rainstorm that may never come. Who knows? <laughs> but that's enough chit-chat, honestly, for this morning. We have news to jump into, so let's get into it. And the first story for this morning is a tragic one. And tragedy struck Highland Park, Illinois, when a gunman opened fire on a July 4th parade on Monday morning. The shooting started at about 10.14 a.m. local time and left many of the people in attendance shocked as many of them believed at first that the gunshots were fireworks. The shock soon turned to terror and chaos as everyone ran for cover. Initial reports after the shooting ended included 5 people killed and 12 injured. However, that number soon increased to 7 deaths with dozens of injuries totaling about 40. 
21-year-old suspect Bobby E. Crimo was taken into custody Monday night after eight hours of searching by police. On Tuesday, Crimo confessed to the shooting, and in that confession, we learned that he had been planning this attack for weeks. This plan included Crimo wearing women's clothing to help him blend into the crowd, allowing him to escape as one of the parade spectators. One of the things that helped police identify Crimo was that he left the MNP-15 semi-automatic rifle he used to carry out the shooting behind at the scene. Surveillance footage also captured Crimo as he ran from the scene. When police searched the roof where Crimo had been shooting from, they found 83 spent shell casings and three magazines. Later, when police searched his car and home, they found another rifle and several handguns, with five being counted in total all of these guns being bought legally despite police being called to Crimo's house multiple times in 2019. Police also discovered that Crimo came across another parade in Madison, Wisconsin, and considered committing another shooting at that location, but decided against that for reasons that aren't quite clear at this time. However, it is suspected that it was because he didn't have time to plan it out. Like I said, Crimo has given his confession to the crime, also identifying himself in a video. His next court date is likely to take place in late July, with arraignment likely to take place in August. Staying on the same tragic theme, we do have more details on the May 24th shooting that took place at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Texas. A report was released by the Advanced Law Enforcement Rapid Response Training Center, also known as ALERT, and it included information that we had not seen before now. One of the main points to the report was that law enforcement had several opportunities to engage the shooter both outside and inside the school. The first instance was when a Uvalde police officer had spotted the gunman walking towards his entry point into the school. The officer waited for permission to engage the shooter with a rifle, but never got the clearance until the shooter had already entered the building. However, according to Texas Penal Code, the officer would have been within his rights to use deadly force to engage the shooter. However, he did hesitate to shoot in fear that if he missed, he could have potentially shot a student or teacher inside the building. It was also reported that a Uvalde School District police officer drove at a high rate of speed through the west parking lot of the school where the gunman was located, but didn't spot him walking towards the school. The report from Alert notes that if the officer had been driving at a slower rate of speed or had entered the parking lot on foot, he would have most likely had the opportunity to engage the shooter. There were also several security faults noted in this report. The first problem discovered was the entry door where the shooter got into the building. This was the same door that the teacher had propped open in previous reports. This door had actually been shut by that same teacher, but it never locked, and the teacher was confirmed to not have the tools to relock it. Another fault was at the door to classroom 111, one of the two classrooms the shooter entered to commit the shooting. In previous reporting, it was stated that the classroom door was locked. However, surveillance footage shows that the shooter never interacted with the locking mechanism in any fashion, suggesting that the door had always been unlocked. It should also be noted here that the school had been in an active lockdown since before the shooter entered the building, leading to questions about why the doors weren't locked. 
The alert report also discussed the failure of police officers to keep the momentum in stopping the shooting as quickly as possible. With the first of the officers arriving at classroom 111 and 112 just two minutes after the shooter had entered the building. The report closes with several drawn-up scenarios of how the police officers could have distracted the shooter for long enough to get the door open and to stop the shooting as quickly as possible long before they actually did so, while also limiting the number of injuries and deaths to officers. These scenarios also focus, of course, on limiting the number of deaths and injuries to teachers and students inside the building. There are also several reports expected to come out in the future from agencies such as the FBI and Alert, so keep an eye out for those, and we will as well, and we will continue to report on new details that come out. Moving away from shootings, we get to a story that has been long going on, but is a first for our show, and that is the story of Brittany Griner. Brittany Griner, WNBA star, has been detained in a Russian prison since February of this year, with Russian authorities stopping her at a Moscow airport, claiming that there was cannabis oil in her luggage. Ever since, there have been talks and efforts to try and bring her home, with little luck at this point in time. Griner's family, including her wife Sherelle, have been working with the Department of State to try and come up with some kind of solution. At the same time, Sherelle has been trying to get in contact with President Biden for help. Brittany also got the chance to reach out to the president with a letter arriving to the White House Monday, handwritten by Griner herself. Within this letter, she expressed her fear that she may be imprisoned for the rest of her life and that she may never be seen again. After the arrival of the letter, statements came out from the White House promising that Griner was a top priority for the president. It was then reported on Wednesday that President Biden reached out to Sherelle with the promise of doing everything in his power to bring Brittany home, along with several other Americans being wrongfully detained in Russia and other countries around the world. As I stated before, the way in which they will try to bring Brittany home is still unclear at this time. However, there have been talks of some kind of prisoner swap, although how real those talks are at the moment is unknown. If that were to happen, one of the biggest names being thrown around to be part of that deal would be Victor Bout, a Russian arms dealer serving a 25-year federal sentence here in the States. However, due to the discrepancies in the charges, the reality of this swap seem unlikely. However, there have also been talks of trying to secure both Griner and U.S. Marine Paul Whelan in a deal. Whelan is serving a 16-year espionage sentence in Russia at this time. In the meantime, Griner's trial has begun, with the first hearing taking place last week and another taking place yesterday. In this latest hearing, Griner pleaded guilty to drug possession and smuggling charges. Through an interpreter, she told the court that she never intended to break Russian law, and she could face up to 10 years in prison for the charges. White House Communications Director Kate Bedingfield will be leaving her position this summer, as reported by an announcement from the White House Wednesday. Bedingfield has spent several years as a part of President Biden's team. She was his communications director during his second term as vice president. She also served as the president's deputy campaign manager and communications director on his campaign team. And at this point, she has worked for three years straight as a leader of his communications team. White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain credited her for helping to accomplish things like the American Rescue Plan, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, and getting Katanji Brown-Jackson into the Supreme Court. 
The statement also said that Bedingfield will still play a role in assisting the president from the outside. However, no specific position has been announced at this time. Bedingfield has stated that it was time for her to spend some more time with her husband and children. There is movement on a large chunk of funding from the bipartisan infrastructure law and it is going towards upgrading and modernizing airports. The Federal Aviation Administration, also known as the FAA, announced Thursday that they would be awarding a total of $1 billion to 85 airports across the nation to help with things such as upgrading terminals or adding new ones, increasing space for aircrafts and passengers to increase overall capacity and efficiency, replacing aging equipment such as elevators, escalators, ticket counters, lighting, and more, improving energy efficiency to reduce emissions and improve overall climate conditions, improving accessibility accommodations, and many, many other upgrades. We also already know several of the airports that will be receiving some of this funding, which include Pittsburgh International Airport, Orlando International Airport, Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport, Boise Airport in Idaho, Seattle-Tacoma International Airport, Bishop International Airport in Flint, Michigan, and many others. Two grants will also be awarded to fund the building of two new and modern air traffic control towers. This funding will be coming from the Airport Terminal Program, one of three programs to be created through the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law to help upgrade and modernize airports across the nation. This program is set to provide $1 billion in funding each year for the next five years to go towards projects like the ones just discussed. Department of Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg also expressed his hope that these projects will provide an opportunity for some quality, well-paying jobs to be created across the nation. Now getting into rapid news, English Prime Minister Boris Johnson has resigned from his position as Conservative Party leader over ethics issues that have been arising over recent months. However, he will retain his position as Prime Minister for the time being. In an update to the jewel ban by the FDA, the FDA has issued a stay on their order to ban all jewel vaping products from U.S. shelves. The agency said that they will use the time given by the stay to review Jewel's case more thoroughly. And today's good news story is something that's just honestly, honestly just wonderful. I have no true words for this. And it takes place in England as 54-year-old James Anderson has been working for the past six years to build a group that looks to help those that need help paying for things like energy bills and getting plumbing work done that they otherwise couldn't afford. And it all started when he went to go help a 78-year-old man in his hometown of Burnley who was bedridden at the time and couldn't afford to pay for a new heater in his house. A different heating company had quoted him about 5,500 pounds, which Anderson said was far, far, far overpriced. So, wh what did he do? He replaced the heater for free with a 1,000 pound heater. And ever since then, he has made sure to build this. He has 13 employees now all across England that help him uh carry out this goal and they have helped 52,000 families or 2 million people across England with their energy needs. They've helped get people refunds on their energy costs. They've helped replace uh, things like heaters and other plumbing. He has also helped with food costs and helped to deliver food to people that couldn't otherwise afford it. He's just done so much to help families all across England 
And he said that ever since he helped that first man with his heater, he just knew that he needed to help. Seeing the smile on these people's faces when they know that they're safe, that they're going to be warm. He said it's just something that he needed to keep seeing and wanted to keep seeing. And so he's been helping people ever since. And they also have a GoFundMe page to help prepare for the winter. Right now they have a 100,000 pound goal and they're already up to over 63,000 pounds. So with some time remaining before the winter comes, they do have time to raise that remaining chunk that they need. But just a, just an amazing story. An amazing story. You know, one of those things where he goes in to do one act of kindness, you know, there's a 78-year-old man, he's bedridden, his heating is, you know, breaking down, and otherwise he wouldn't be able to heat his house over the winter because he couldn't pay for that, you know, 5,500-pound 5, uh, heater. And there, you know, there was just no way at the time. And for Anderson to come in and realize how badly the man had been scammed by the other company and to just replace it for free you know didn't have to pay anything for this new heater anderson installed it himself and to take that and to see the smile and the happiness on that man's face and to just be like i need to continue this that's something truly special truly special and the fact that they've been at it for six years now and the fact that they've helped so many people so many people it's just astonishing. It's astonishing. And I honestly hope the best for them and the work that they do in the future. And I hope that they can continue to build their their workforce. I hope they can continue to get more people on board and to get more money for this project. Because it is just truly, truly awe-inspiring and truly a wonderful, wonderful program. But that is the end of this Friday morning episode, you guys. We'll be back here on Sunday morning for a week ahead schedule. But until then, follow us on Twitter, link in the show notes. Check out our midterm articles if you haven't already. Share us around. We're on all platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, you name it, we're on it. Make sure to spread us around. But until Sunday, you guys, we'll see you later.